welcome back to another episode of the HR evolution or revolution, whatever the way that we're looking at it. We're calling for the revolution of HR for the evolution of business through discussions with industry experts like Julio today. Uh, we have conversations with people, analytics specialists, HR uh, chief human resource officers to really give you the full flair as to what is coming in our industry and how HR can always be focused on providing value back to the organization and the business and really be that key uh, strategic business partner within their organizations as we move forward in this new world of work. Uh, alongside me uh, for the today's interview is Bobby Spaziani, who also shares in this passion project with me. Bobby, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, it's a pleasure to be on, Julio. Thanks for joining our show today. Um, you know, as Kevin mentioned, I think you know the the reason and sort of the passion that that fuels this fire for us is really the ability to talk to people like yourself to help HR professionals at all level, kind of all levels, kind of move from that transactional mindset to more of that strategic mindset. So, Julio, thanks for taking a few minutes with us today. Oh, sure, absolutely. Well, let me introduce Julio, our distinguished guest for today. Um, he is the Chief Human Resource Officer or VP of People Ops at LaunchCode um, and has uh, been working in the HR field for quite some time uh, with a background in uh, communications, um, which I found fascinating and kind of understanding really Julio's background. But Julio, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? And first, before you do that, thank you so much for your service. Oh, sure. Thank you so much, Kevin and Bobby. Really appreciate the opportunity. I'm so excited to visit with you. Julio Govro here, as mentioned before, VP of People Operations at LaunchCode, a local nonprofit organization here in the St. Louis metro area. So I'm very excited about being here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I wanted to start in with some fun stuff. I saw that you used to uh, be a part of the uh, men's chorus, right? Um, so what song is your favorite song to sing, Julio, when you're in the shower on your way to work and when no one's listening or looking? <laughs> so Don't Stop Believing by Journey. So that's Ooh, my, my favorite. <laughs> that's a classic right there. That's a good one. I, I like it. that one to start my day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so oh, we think right. So Julio... Julio, I know you uh, You probably don't get a whole lot of free time in the different roles that you serve here today. You're a busy man, but just looking, you know, doing the research that Kevin and I did before the show. Um, when you get a little bit of free time, what do you like to do for fun? So I love to volunteer. So right now I'm the uh, St. Louis uh, ATD chapter board president. So I get to help with that um, and uh, work with some phenomenal uh, board members as well. So I love to give back anytime I can. That's it. So, that's so great. important and probably, like you said, carries over in your day job there at Launch Code. So that's 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 so exciting to hear. So, again, Bobby pointed out that uh, very few in HR uh, people do not believe that we have lives right outside of work. They think that we live in our office and we're there only to uh, serve the business um, and we're the no fun police. Why did Julio initially get into HR with a, a background in, in communications and, and, and more of a marketing side? How did you find your way into, I guess, unlocking your purpose and, and really your passion for HR? So funny you asked that, Kevin. Um, I started off my career, uh, finished up my undergraduate degree at Knights, and that's where I met my future manager, where I started my career in the insurance industry without even knowing about it. Uh, Pat who is a phenomenal human being and we're still friends to this day, I was looking for a role to complement my communications background. And I started off my career in an insurance company in the call center. So as I worked in the call center, I always observed that HR would come and visit us for a variety of reasons. And I thought to myself, 
the more and more I learned about what HR did as far as in our department, I said, I want to get involved in that at some point. Mm -hmm. So naturally, over my 10-year career at that insurance company, I transitioned over into an HR role in a variety of, of responsibilities at that point. So that's excellent. And Julio, I, I, you know, it was going through and doing a lot of research on you and saw you have an extensive background in HR. And, and as you kind of alluded to there, it, it started more on operations. Um, but even before that, right, I think you spent some time in the Marines, right? And yes. in kind of a unique role, is my understanding, as a musician. Yes. So couple, kind of a two-pronged question for you. Um, you know, how, how did that experience really help to kind of shape your career in business? So I wanted to join an organization where there was a lot of structure. I'm that type of person that really thrives in that kind of environment. The Marine Corps taught me integrity and the value of having a great work ethic. So that was a phenomenal experience for me, to be honest with you, Bobby. On the other side of things, I love music. So that was a great compliment as far as what do I do after high school? Uh, and I wasn't thinking about college at that point. So I thought, why not go into the Marine Corps and do the thing that I love? Um, what was great about that is not only did I play with the Chronicle Marine Band, but I also did a lot of HR functions as well. I started doing recruiting, public speaking, interviewing. So that sparked my interest in HR, even before I knew that that was part of HR or as far as functions of HR. So that really was a great segue to future opportunities uh, down the road. So that's so that's cool. great. And it's almost like that, that worldly view, right? I think sometimes you need to understand how the business operates uh, uh, on a business case side um, in order to be there to understand where precisely you're providing value. Now, I know you're constantly providing value day in and day out with the number one uh, concern on most CEOs' mind today, which is talent, right? How do we retain? How do we attract? How do we keep and, and continue to develop that talent um, so they don't look for external opportunities, right? There's almost that saying, Julio, that I'm sure you've heard, why should we invest in our people when we know they're just going to leave, right? How do you combat that conversation in, with leadership, right? Because leadership doesn't want to invest in learning and development unless they know that they're going to see a return and the person's going to stay with the organization. So some companies just totally dismiss it because they don't want them to lose or, or, or go to another competitor or company. How do you combat that in, in your space? Oh, sure. That's a great question, Kevin. So one of the conversation starters that I always have is that when people feel connected to purpose, that drives organizational results. So if Julio works for Launch Code and there's a sense or connection of what I do matters, not only to my team or to myself, but to the entire organization and the people that we serve, frankly, that's a huge engagement strategy right there, right off the bat. Because if you don't take care of your folks, they're not going to take care of your organization. Simple as that. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's and you, awesome. you continue to see that relationship between the employee experience and the customer experience. And, and now that the, that the customer is becoming more a part of your culture, whether organizations like to admit it or, or, or even acknowledge that they're more a part of their culture than ever before. One of the things that I know that you're passionate about and talking about the Marine Corps is that not everybody's meant to be a Marine, right? Not everybody has the skills, the training, the discipline in order to, to properly serve our country in a safe manner, right? And I know that you are using some assessments or tools today to really kind of sift through talent and understand like what are their what are their key uh, strengths, what are their key weaknesses, what things should I be aware of? How are you applying this now to talent selection identification um, practices uh, within within uh, Launch Code there today or elsewhere? Absolutely. So 
one of the things that we really are focusing in on is a great culture fit from that sense. And we have some questions that we really focus in on, but we also want to make sure that we are implementing some uh, assessments as well and technology, because I really want to, from a key performance indicator perspective, I want to make sure that if Julio is interested in a role at LaunchCode, not only is it going to be a good culture fit, but from the historical data that we have up to this point and based on all, all the information that we have available to us, that really we're going to set up this individual for short-term and long-term success. Because you can be as qualified as you can be, but then is it going to be the right qualifications for your success at this new organization? And I really focus in on that because oh, I've interviewed some brilliant people, but in the short term, they weren't very successful because of that gap. And so I really focus not only on the technology side of things, but really diving into the individual as far as what they can bring starting on day one. That's excellent. And, and Julio, I, I, I know you're probably, or we're going to probably talk a little bit more about Launch Code and all the great work you're doing, but just to kind of take a step back, um, you know, in my research, I, I, I looked at the company's page, I looked at the mission, I think the work that you're doing is incredible there. Can you take our listeners through, you know, what is Launch Code? What's the mission of the organization? Um, and um, yeah, just kind of take, take the listeners through um, Launch Code. Oh, sure. So I love working for Launch Code for a variety of reasons. So we, like I said earlier, we're a local nonprofit organization that focuses on connecting our community, typically people of underrepresented uh, communities, people of color, folks that have not had access to IT quality training. And we provide that free of charge. And when I say that it's free of charge, it does not mean that our classes are easy or that anybody can take them. They're very rigorous and challenging. And so we're very proud of that. So we offer that training. Once Julio goes through this class and graduates, then he's considered an apprentice. At that point, our organization works with our company relations team to place you with our business partners. And we have business partners throughout the entire country. And so we have quite a few here in the St. Louis area, but throughout the um, country as well. Once we put you in, in that uh, relationship, our goal is to place you internally as one of their employees. So that's the end result or the goal there. So again, all of this is done free of charge as far as going through the training, placement, and then putting you into an organization where you work as an apprentice or you get converted as a full-time employee for that organization. So that's, again, talking about purpose makes me get up extra early in the morning to help out. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> and, and spend the night at the office. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love the learning and development uh, conversation because um, with 47% of the jobs um, gone over the next nine years, this tells us that the skills necessary for tomorrow are not the same skills needed for today. Um, and one of the things is learning and development is, is challenging for most is because I think a lot of organizations look for that catch-all or spray and pray method when it comes to L&D. Um, what are you doing differently to really uh, ensure, um, I guess, the rate of, oh man, how do I want to word that, uh, the rate of knowledge um, percentage that they carry over from what they learn in the training and how they apply it on the job? How do you check all those boxes? Because they're saying people like today have the attention span of a goldfish. How are you adjusting learning and development strategies um, today differently than what you were maybe offering five or 10 years ago? Great question, Kevin. I think one of the things that we're really focused in on is short-term uh, learning uh, objectives. So part of the, the classes that we offer is there are assignments that you have to finish. And that way we assess you at every step of the point when it comes to those classes, because 
obviously a lot of people that are coming into these classes don't have the IT background. And so we wanna make sure that there's smaller chunks of information that people are assimilating or learning or getting exposed to. So that way there's check-in points, assessments, and uh, activities where the instructor, the assistant instructor really partner up with the student because these folks typically have not been in this kind of environment. So we provide support not only from a learning and development perspective, but from a coaching perspective as well. And I'm really proud of that because we wanna make sure that all of our students graduate and move forward in the process at that point. Excellent. Yeah, and, and so Julio, you know, you mentioned earlier when, when we were introing you, um, your, your sort of your path to HR and what interested you, you know, as you're kind of sitting in that call center environment and seeing what HR was doing. I kind of want to flip that a little bit, um, you know, your experience in a call center, your experience as an underwriter, both, you know, as a people manager and as an employee, you know, being on that revenue generating side of the business or being sort of the voice of the business, um, how did that impact you or how does that impact you today when you're, you know, putting through L&D programs or taking part in instructional design sessions um, and, and just overall HR work, how important was that business acumen in what you're doing today? Very important, Bobby, to be honest with you, because when I worked in a call center environment, we're all about metrics at that point. On a day-to-day -day basis, <laughs> monthly, quarterly, you name it, we have a metric for it. So I really focused in on that business acumen in my current role as well, because A, you have to learn the business. B, what is important to that business? C, what kind of data points, dashboards do you have access to so you can tell your story based on those data points or analytics? because I can tell you stories until the cows come home, but then how do you back it up with data at the end of the day? What are we doing to increase efficiency? What are we doing to increase engagement? Whatever it is, having data to back up your story is very powerful. And again, as I mentioned earlier, having that connection to purpose and having that information balance out, talk about a win-win situation. Oh yeah. Well, then you can clearly define on exactly where you're having the impact. Now, something Absolutely. that a, a lot of organizations do, uh, they see learning and development almost like this endless burning of cash burning exercise, right? Um, and what I've found is that a lot of organizations never go back and reassess the effectiveness, right, of that training or, or the development strategy. How, are, how do you go back and, and, I guess, reassess the effectiveness of the training, adjust if necessary, and maybe revolutionize or evolve your practices? How are you doing that today to make sure that you're constantly staying ahead? Absolutely. Great question, Kevin. So one of the things I like to do is have a post-project implementation discussion. I want to see how things went. And if things went well, then I focus in on those things that went very well. Now, having that kind of conversation also in a different project where things didn't go according to plan, I really hone in on that as well, because then I want to start making some adjustments. One of the things I do differently from maybe some of my colleagues is I also talk to the folks that were part of the project. And I also talk to people that the project was for. So that way I'm hearing from two different perspectives. So that way the folks that actually implemented whatever that uh, initiative was, but then I talked to a couple of students, hey, how did it go for you? And then from a structural perspective, from a learning perspective, and then from an end user perspective, I, I talk about different perspectives so that way people can give me different data points as well. Then I also talk about you know what, why don't we do things in a shorter amount of time? And it doesn't always have to be in a formal environment too. So think about that too. Now, as we continue to move forward with remote working conditions, as far as environments that are, I think, here to stay, my personal opinion, how do we also add the relationship, relationship aspect, excuse me, aspect to it as well, 
because learning doesn't always have to be in a formal classroom environment. It could be relationship-based or it could be community-based too. So I'm trying to be as creative as possible because our budgets are all over the continuum and some organizations might have some modest budgets where others might have bigger and very robust budgets. Yeah, and, and you alluded to, to my next question there, Julio, you know, without giving away any of your, your trade secrets, you know, what, what types of programs or, or um, you know, learning and development have you found to be successful in this remote environment to keep people engaged, as, as Kevin had kind of mentioned earlier, right? I think in general, um, you know, we have the attention span of a, of a goldfish, as they say, um, but, but move that to the environment where we're not physically able to, you know, touch each other and be close to each other how you know what, what have you found to be successful in this remote environment so a couple of things with that bobby um, first of all you have to start with making personal connections with and how those efforts are connecting back to the organization one of the things i found very helpful with having uh, a virtual environment also is having discussions in regards to your efforts connecting back to overall strategy uh, with the organization because at the end of the day julio's working very hard and we're not making that connection back to what launch code is all about, then there's a disconnect. And so I'm trying to really focus in on that. So funny you asked that because today I actually had a deep dive presentation on our strategy for the next four years. And I talked about performance management. Now it's gonna be a bigger part of the talent management process. And so again, connecting back to purpose in regards to what our strategy overall is at the organization. So really focusing in on that because at the end of the day, we wanna move the organization forward. And so that's one thing I really am gonna focus in on moving forward. And, and something that you talked about earlier, and I know you're passionate about is communication, right? Communication at all levels between kind of being that master translator, right? Between what the people want and what the business needs um, can be a very conflicting and challenging place to be. And I think a lot of HR professionals are finding themselves either disconnected from the business um, or disconnected from the people. And that's a very dangerous place to be because then we flip right into that administrative function where we're, we're really not adding value. Um, and we talked for years, Julio, about HR needing that seat at the table, right? That was, that was the call five, seven years ago. And now a lot of HR professionals have that proverbial seat, um, but they're still not involved in the strategic conversations. So to even hear that you are a part of the strategic four-year plan, right, from a workforce development and strategy perspective, how did you get there and how did you develop that relationship internally so that the C-suite saw value and what value you could bring back to the organization. I'm very fortunate, Kevin. I came into this role with a very supportive executive director. That is my leader who I report into. Uh, unfortunately, I came into the overall strategic planning process after the fact. However, um, I stay connected from a communication perspective with my leader on a weekly basis, but I thrive in that environment where I came up with a plan based on the bigger plan. And then we talk about it but then it cascades beyond my level of responsibility too. And then we have all staff meetings on a weekly basis. And that's where I remind folks that here's our strat plan in our direction. And then this is how people ops interprets their part of the bigger plan. Because again, I have to make that dotted line connection. So that way people understand that's why HR is doing these things. Mm -hmm. That's why my part matters. So that way we continue to move forward in our organization as far as our mission and vision. And do you feel like those conversations are different because you have that business background, right? And you know how to absolutely some of those data points to fiscal or financial outcomes? Yes. So I am very lucky that I have also a, a monthly touch basis with all the executive group. So finance, uh, um, program leads, uh, finance, uh, community relations, uh, training. So 
I always have those ongoing conversations as far as their strategy. And then again, how can people operations support that vision as well? So I'm connected to all folks and I have those conversations on an ongoing basis. Love that. I love how you said people ops support those goals or initiatives to enable their success. And it kind of develops that strong internal business partnership that you're looking for. So you're brought in on such particular projects. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Julio, this is more of a, of a, your opinion type question, you know, being in the tech space and um, you know, really focusing on providing opportunities and educating folks um, on technology, how important do you think technology plays in today's HR landscape for, you know, maybe up and coming uh, students and, and, and growing HR professionals? Is technology kind of the way of the future in our space as well? I agree with that statement. It's here to stay. I think as students are considering a career in the industry, having that appreciation of HR technology, because we have a comprehensive HRIS system, and being comfortable with looking at data and then organizing it in a way that, again, as Kevin mentioned earlier, providing value and support to organizations, it's here to stay. Uh, technology is not going to go away by any time soon. At this point, it's enhancing our role. There has to be a balance, though, between knowing what that data can do for you and then also being very strategic of telling a story and then moving the organization forward. And you also have to be very careful as far as what information you really want to focus in on, because you can look at a dashboard and present all of that stuff. It's just data. You also have to think strategically as far as what specific points do I want to share that complement not only the data, but then the things that we're doing from an initiative perspective. Love that. I think you're right. You touched on the intellectual capital, right? We, we started, uh, we're hearing like the S&P, um, thanks, thanks to Ocean Tomo, basically saying that 90% of the valuation of corporations in the S&P 500, 90% is intangible. A firm component of that is intellectual and social capital, right? How, um, due to the great resignation, due to the pandemic, um, succession planning uh, for most organizations, those that were even thinking about succession planning um, were disrupted. Um, I think we noticed that the great resignation was not in my age demographic. Surprisingly, it was in the 40 to 45 category, right? Um, and it also forced people to retire earlier than I think a lot of organizations were, were ready for. How do you prevent that intellectual and social capital from leaving the organization during times of stress or turmoil right, to retain that and ensure that the next person up in that succession planning is getting that intellectual capital and property to continue uh, their function within that role. So fun as well, succession planning and talent management overall is near and dear to my heart. That's one of my areas of passion. And so right now we're actually going through that and experiencing that in our organization. So what I say to that is we need to start leveraging all the talent that we have in our organization. And what I mean by that is if we have people that have been in an organization 20, 25 years, why not start using them in a different way? Mentorships, coaching, making sure that they're uh, also sponsors. So the roles are changing. So that way we start migrating some of that great organizational experience and information and knowledge, cascade that down throughout the entire organization. Now, also having a plan is very, very helpful. And what I say by that is that it doesn't always have to be very formal also, depending on where you're at in the continuum as far as your maturity with your organization. I always say start having those conversations as far as what succession looks like and then who are the successors that we're going to really focus in on, you know, your high potential. 
and then start creating some development plans that are specific to their needs. So that way, as they aspire to greater levels of responsibility, they have some structure in place and then execute the plan. Once you've executed the plan, then you have to start continuously revising it and reviewing it. Is it working or do we need to adjust it? And again, that's where technology comes in as far as your HRIS system, uh, regardless of the system you're using to help you track that, uh, uh, that process. And especially if it's gonna be uh, moving forward. And then the other aspect is staying connected to those folks. It's nothing more than, you know, if Julio is considered a high potential and he's on the succession planning list, and if nobody's connected to him, the engagement levels are not gonna be high and that person more than likely will leave the organization. Which is yeah. so powerful. And you said staying connected, I think is one of those things. And you also talked about continue to plan and adjust. We know the number one reason why people are leaving organizations is lack of professional development opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I've been told as I leave organizations, oh, Kevin, we saw so much potential in you, right? But that's after I've already told them they're leaving the organization. And I think that communication is it goes both ways, right? I think mentor-mentee relationship is also beneficial to on both sides. Um, dealing with the multi-generational workforce, right? And dealing with uh, designing of, of succession planning and workforce development. Where is the white space for HR professionals today, right? So we talk about the administrative function and we, we know that 79% of CEOs wanna reinvent their HR department, right? Where's the white space for anybody coming into HR or interested in HR, or maybe they are a chief human resource officer, but hearing you speak about your relationships that you've built internally, they do not have those relationships. What can they be doing to revolutionize the way that they're approaching HR within their business? So I would think is start asking questions about the business and where is the ultimate goal that the business wants to head. One thing that I would say to a fellow, um, HR professional is also to keep in mind the DEI aspect of the organization. Our workforce is not going to be the same what it was five years ago, 10 years ago. It's becoming more diverse. Uh, it's actually global at this point. When now with the uh, being in a virtual environment, we're getting candidates from all over the globe. So that's an aspect that I would share with my fellow HR professionals. Really look at your HR processes from an equity perspective and let's use succession planning as, a, as an example. I've worked with organizations where we go through the entire process and only a certain segment of the workforce is being focused or paid attention to. And I always question that going, wait a minute, you have 80% of the workforce left. What are we doing with those folks? So I think DNI is a component that we really need to look at as a business strategy because employees, what they look like today, even five years from now, it'll even keep changing further as well. Yeah. That's excellent. I, I want to go back, if you don't mind, Julio, to sure. uh, our conversation on talent management. You mentioned earlier, and I agree, I think performance management is such a big bucket under, you know, the overall talent management process. Um, as Kevin kind of mentioned, we're, we're at a point where we have multiple generations uh, in the workforce today. Um, as we think about, you know, your traditional employee review process, you know, at one point of time, it was, um, you know, okay, I'll see you at the end of the year, um, you know, we'll talk about your grades and, and what you've done, what you haven't done, um, you know, we'll assign some money to it or whatever it might be and, and be on our way. Um, so I guess a two part question, you know, in today's workforce, what, what in your opinion works as far as performance management? Is it ongoing continuous feedback? Um, how do you manage kind of the different uh, you know, generational aspects of it. You know, I think some generations are more, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hands off, leave me alone. Uh, and others, you know, they want um, feedback 
uh, more so and, and on a more frequent basis than their managers may even you know believe. So how do you handle that? Great question, Bobby. So I always say, you know what? Trust is the foundation of success. So if in your onboarding, when you are welcoming a new employee into the team, you start with that because you can build a great foundation on the concept of trust, hence connection with performance management. The other aspect of that too is I'm a big proponent of having formal conversations throughout the year because you have to have those. It's part of the, of, of the process. However, where I find the most value is in those informal ongoing conversations throughout the year. The reason why I say that, Bobby, is because HR can support you with giving you a lot of tools, templates, uh, conversation starters. So that way, the conversation not only focuses on the work, but on the relationship, going back again to the concept of trust, where, yep, I feel comfortable telling you that Julio really need to focus in on these areas. And then the uh, employee feels comfortable hearing that, and the manager has the tools that they need to focus on that message to uh, relate to the employee. So I think where the on going informal conversations, those are very important, but also providing tools to the employee and the manager, not just one party, both, so that way they have a meaningful relationship and conversation at the same time. Yeah, that's great. I, I completely agree. I think, you know, so many times, I think those informal conversations kind of get swept under the rug, unfortunately. And, you know, we're tracking to our, you know, monthly or quarterly touch points that HR is watching over our shoulder on. But, um, you know, those those discussions are so, so much more incredible and important. I agree. And the focus should be on the performance and also on the development plan as well. So that way there's equal importance to both points. Absolutely. Oh, did we lose Kevin? <laughs> I is he on mute? <laughs> I might have been on mute. I'm sorry. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I think that's so important that you guys were just talking about is that uh, the manager and the employee relationship and how HR can pretty much facilitate or translate that conversation and just encourage the lines of communication to be open and transparent and trustworthy. I, uh, we saw PricewaterhouseCoopers kind of change their whole uh, policy right on trust. Um, and I think going through a global pandemic and going through that exercise, there's a lot of distrust right now, and that brings the opportunity. And I always found data to build that transparency or trust, whether they're asking for it or not. Um, but back to what we originally were talking about is your uh, kind of your role in Perfect Harmony, right? The chorus, right? The men's chorus group. We talk about finding that harmonious culture, right? And, 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 and we in HR are looked to as the stewards of culture. Right. And you brought up into a very important point of the DE and I conversation, right? Where I don't want it to go, Julio, is where that's a marketing ploy or exercise by that employer. And a lot of times, whether it's a, a challenging manager or leader, um, I know you discuss and believe in leadership theory, right? How important is it for HR to stand up and lead? in order to protect the mission, vision, and values of which they created alongside the CEOs? How can HR become better leaders within their business? So I, would, I have a few thoughts about that. I think instead of thinking that our role has to be a leader, I would categorize it as being a partner in the organization. I found it to be more successful when you team up with the executive team, but you also partner up with the employee base as well. And this is very interesting because culture isn't just defined by management. Culture is defined by everyone associated in the organization. 
And so HR is not only a partner, but also a support mechanism to really define and bring that out. I'm the infrastructure person. So I'm gonna be doing that in my organization as well, because when I ask my uh, colleagues at work, what does culture mean to you? We're gonna get <laughs> all kinds of responses. So that's where the partnership comes in and the stewardship where I am gonna be very responsible for making sure that we get all of those data points like we talked about earlier, and then continuing to have conversations so we get to a point where culture is really, it makes sense for us at Launch Code. Now, this is going to be a process that's going to be ongoing because you can't define culture in one iteration and then that's it. No. Uh, and so for us, DE&I is a very important aspect of our culture. And I'm going to really define that and put it on paper with the partnership of the employees and the management group. That's so strong. And, and given your background in communications, right, um, listening is like one of the, I say, a, a lost art today. Oh, yes. uh, but I, it sounds like these communications that you're having, right, with the employees and the managers is, is really asking why or what you can do, right? And really sitting back and not um, answering the question for them. For them, um, It's really, it sounds like you're taking a backseat and really listening. What active listening skills could you maybe give to the HR team? Because I think that is so important, especially when you're sitting in those big strategy meetings or in the boardroom with key stakeholders or board members. Um, it can be a very intimidating place, but if we're listening and asking the right questions, what are some of your favorite business questions to ask, and how do you encourage people to actively listen to it? Oh, sure. So I, I love using the, the concept of active listening, and when we talk about that is actually paying attention <laughs> in the conversation <laughs> and let it go of everything else. So really focus in on what other people are trying to share with you and then just be in the moment. That's how I describe active listening because you're not focused on your phone, on your text, on your emails. It's just being there. And also active listening to me means that not having a response already in your head because that is so easy to do that. If Bobby asked me, why is the sky blue? I already know. Instead of going, <laughs> okay, tell me more. Why do you think the sky is blue? Uh, and then asking questions from a very strategic perspective. And so why do you think this makes sense? Why is it important to you? Uh, how can we implement that? Is that realistic? How can we get the employees involved in this? Why does this matter to you? Asking those kinds of questions going into more of a consulting uh, mode as far as asking people, what is it that they really wanna focus in on? Instead of saying, well, we'll go with that because we have to support you and we're HR. I would say, let's, let's take a step back there and really start asking those very specific questions depending on the conversation as well. Yeah, and, and just to stay on that, because I think that's fascinating, Julio, because it sounds like such a simple concept, right? But we have, I was thinking about it this morning, we have, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm talking to somebody on my phone as I'm watching my favorite TV show, as I have my iPad up, we have all of these different channels of communication and content overload and our lives are just becoming so fast. Um, do, do you think that, or do you, are you coaching your employees or external partners on this idea of active listening today? Um, and do you see that organizations are taking that approach as well? Because I think it's so easy to talk about. It's so hard to master. Yes. So I've done that in previous roles and I'm uh, introducing the concept uh, very soon in my current role. Studies upon studies have shown that multitasking is not successful and productive. You can say you're the taskmaster of getting 10 <laughs> things done, but you're not going to get them done very successfully or even on time or efficiently. So it's, I think, more valuable if we focus on the conversation and the task at hand and do that very well, because the impact and results of that are going to be great. And then they'll have a ripple 
about the entire organization. Imagine if I had a conversation with Kevin and Bobby, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then at this very important meeting, I have my part great strategic initiative, and I'm not delivering. That's not good for anyone. So hence the active listening and really being in there in the moment and asking lots of great questions to clarify. One of the things I'll also share is advice that I give fellow uh, HR students and HR professionals is a tool, a technique that I use is that make sure you're understanding the response and ask it in a question. So I'll say, Bobby, if I'm understanding you correct, you said that the sky is blue. Is that correct? So making sure that the communication is back and forth. And if there's points of uh, different perspectives, that's where you ask those very specific make sure it's being very clear on what's being shared with you. That's that's excellent. And and everybody that that's listening, if you're applying to one of Julio's roles, you know, you might want to cross out that um, you know, multitasker line that you have. Julio, it sounds like a lot of, so one of the most staggering facts that uh, Bobby and I discuss quite frequently is that only 22% of businesses use data and science to drive business decisions, right? Um, and we're talking that a large majority are relying on their gut instinct and intuition and making very emotional-based decisions. Um, it was very easy to, I guess, get gobbled up into that vacuum during the, the pandemic, right? Uh, they went to back to what they trusted and what they knew, which was typically the financial statements, right? The profit and loss statement was really their navigational beacon uh, to navigate through the, the hardships of the pandemic. Um, in your role in arming the leaders with new data and new knowledge, how do you think future, I guess, issues or challenges or problems that could arise within the workforce um, how can we use data to, I guess, predict or prevent some of these um, catastrophic events from happening in the future? And the reason I ask is it sounds like, uh, in my understanding um, and, and experience, HR is almost in this uh, constant state of organized chaos, right? Uh, they can never seem to get ahead. They're always kind of chasing their tail. How can we take a more proactive uh, approach to HR to really, I guess, identify these potential gaps or, or potential problems before they become a four-alarm fire? I love that question. So <laughs> actually, I've had conversations about that. It's great that HR is a business partner and we look at our, our data points, our dashboards, and then we always, or we typically like to focus on the successes or on the wins. I always all also like to balance that approach with what about the things that didn't go according to plan and still use data for that? Our turnover rates, our engagement, our project, uh, post-project reviews, all those things that sometimes we don't wanna talk about that I think would, that bring equal value as far as moving forward with the uh, <clears throat> maturing of the organization. So I think having that balanced approach with everything that's going well with um, the access that we have to all of those dashboards, but also talking about okay, things didn't go according to plan here, why? And then having the courage, and again, using that concept of trust again, to making sure that we continue to enhance those processes. So that way, again, when we have future implementations, they go even better than the last time. So that way people see the value that we're trying. And again, being a true business partner. Love that. But you need to develop those relationships first with trust yes. in order to get the answers to the questions that you're even asking, truthfully. Absolutely. Right? I think sometimes people are hiding behind. And that's what I, I think, right? So accounting and bookkeeping and CFOs, they had the generally accepted accounting practices to hold them accountable, right? That, that told, them, told them how well they were doing or how poor they were doing in their given role. Do you, fear, do you think it's fear of HR professionals finally being held accountable to, to their role, right? The benefits that they're adding, is that a little bit why HR professionals are not that interested in leveraging data to, to help support decision-making? 
I think that's partly true um, because then we have to expose whatever it is that we need to focus in on. And then that's where, you know, again, the HR professional comes in and either addresses performance or there's other things going on there. And, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we need to get away that when someone fails, that's a bad thing. So I, as your HR business partner, take it a different way. I always say that failure is a great opportunity for us to get better at the next time we're going to do this. And that we need to start turning that mindset around as far as that failure is, is the end of your career. No, it's just part of your development journey. So that way, the next time you get to draw upon that reference or experience and move things differently. There's nothing wrong with failing now. If it continues to happen all the time, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but it's okay. Failure is not going to be detrimental to you as long as you're learning from it. That's the thing that I always, that small caveat, learn, learn from it, Julio, so that way the next time you do things a little bit differently, but it doesn't always have to mean that that's the end of you or your career. Yeah, I think that's so important, Julio, because, you know, Kevin mentioned it earlier, I think, you know, HR, you know, so many times in the past has been viewed as that no function or, oh, crap, HR's in the room, you know, that must mean that, uh, you know, they have a, a message to say here. Um, whereas, you know, if you can kind of break that boundary, and as you'd mentioned, kind of, um, you know, position the function as more of business partners and truly helping an employee develop. And like you said, learning from those, you know, those failures, um, I think that's, that's so important. And it just, it opens up those, um, you know, that communication, um, and that culture across the business. I agree. So I'll give you a quick story about that. So when I worked for the insurance company, I used to head an entire call center department brand new to the organization and our call center is where all of the spanish-speaking calls were being routed because it was more financially responsible to do that internally than to have a, a outside business partner i made a lot of mistakes in my first year <laughs> in running that organization as far as the call center but my manager pat at that point she says do you understand that we just spent over two hundred thousand dollars in your development plan with all those mistakes and failures you know and i never thought about it and then the second year i learned from those uh point and went, okay, we're not going to do that again. We're going to try something different. And then the next year I tried something different and our success continued to grow. And so that's where the mindset needs to change a little bit as far as failure is not always uh, fatal, <laughs> but it is developmental. And so I always thank my uh, leader at that point, Pat, for mentioning that. And she was very specific. We just spent $200,000 on your development. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> so I love that. That's so cool. And one of the, my favorite questions, right, is uh, talking about the call center is sometimes asking HR, right, how do you have an impact on the call center customer service, right, rates or scores, the net promoter score, right, that, that a lot of businesses, operations and sales like to focus on, but how in HR do we have an impact on that? And we have more of a, great, a greater impact on that that we may previously believe, um, but that flips us really from a tactical reactionary function within our organization mm -hmm. to a more proactive cost uh, or a profit center within the institution, because at the end of the day, if you don't have people or you don't have the right people, you can have the greatest product in the world that nobody ever heard about. So one of our favorite questions to ask in closing, um, where is the future of work headed, Julio, in your opinion? You, you touched on it earlier. Bobby and I talk about buying, renting, growing, and botting talent. We're seeing changes. We're seeing labor pools totally dry up um, and, and people move uh, from industries and we no longer have the luxury of that ginormous bench, right, as employers. Where is the future of work headed? And what can organizations and HR professionals be doing today to prepare themselves for what's needed for tomorrow? That's my favorite question so far in our visit today. 
<laughs> and here's how I'll answer that question. I think that organizations need to start developing relationships in our communities where groups of individuals have not been typically interacting, have had interactions with, or haven't even been considered. And so that's one of the things that we do in our organization. And you'll be amazed at the demographics in your local communities that haven't been leveraged and that where that's where that connection can come in for future planning as far as your workforce. The other aspect too is really changing the role of leadership as far as not only being a manager, but a mentor, a champion, a sponsor. So that way we continue to be at the forefront of developing not only that leader, but that employee as well. Like you mentioned, Kevin, uh, in a call center environment, this is critical because they're in a very structured environment. So yeah, let's focus on the data, but also let's focus on the individual as far as their development. Some of those folks are going to stay in the call center and some of those folks are going to move into other areas of the operation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So really starting to get creative with the resources that you have around you and being very creative with that. That's, that's, and, and I know you touched on it earlier, but focusing <coughs> on the processes themselves, right? The processes in place, do they need to be adjusted? Is there a piece of technology that can give us time back so we can maybe focus a little bit more on this active talent management, as I call it? And it, it, it's really um, the future. And I think talent management has changed, right? Uh, the, the opportunity to always see our lives in a very linear way, right? A lot of times it was, I need to climb the ladder to get to where I want to be. Mm -hmm. But active talent management and kind of tuning into the personality, the assessments, and really your active listening, it sounds like you're more involved in their development plan, where it could be a total left turn that they never thought and a new area within the business. Is that something that you're seeing more in the future where people are assume that this is what they really wanted to do? They identified that it's not at all and it's not really where their strengths are best suited. And then you're advising them of other opportunities within the same organization. Absolutely. Some folks are very focused on climbing the corporate ladder, which I love, but I also termed the following phrase also. There's some folks like Julio that want to create their own lattice work where they want to start off in this part of the uh, operations, maybe underwriting. Then they go over to op um claims, then they go to finance, HR, and so forth. Success is defined by the individual, and sometimes it will be horizontal, and sometimes it'll be <laughs> diagonal, or whatever direction is works for them. So we have to start thinking about development in a whole different way, and then again, really keep that employee's perspective in mind, because I could tell you, as a manager, if you say, you know what, this is the way it's going to be, it's not going to be very successful, but if you really actively listen to the employee, you'll hear a lot of great things up here's Julio's next career move. And we're going to focus on developing that, that career path for them. Yeah. The, the active listening and, and, and just checking, I, I think the ego work and you're, you're talking about the leadership theory changing in today's environment because the world of work is drastically different than when my father and Bobby's father were working, right? Um, you took good enough care of those guys. They were never going to leave. Um, now that's so cha that's changed because of how much competition that there are and competition breeds innovation, in my opinion. So I think it's an exciting time to be in HR. And as Bobby and I always say is we believe that we have the future. We have the ability to change the future of the world right through HR, um, being a more a part of those communities, like you mentioned, really being a part and ingrained in the community once you live and work. Um, it's a new opportunity for businesses to kind of create their sphere of influence in a positive way that people want to get behind and, and, and become a part of unlocking their purpose 
uh, headed towards that common goal or mission. So Julio, today's conversation was fascinating. I, I, I too love the learning and development space because I think it's a very untapped market, right? I think a lot of businesses have kind of checked the box on performance management, learning and development for so long that now they're coming to the realization that that was a short-term win for, for, for poor future performance predictors. Um, so I think organizations focusing on the inputs rather than the outputs, which it seems like you guys are doing there at Launch Code. So from Bobby, from the HR Evolution team, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and really providing some tangible um, takeaways for the audience. So thank you so much, Julio. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Thanks you, so Kevin, Bobby. I really enjoyed our visit today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and tune back next time for another great guest on the HR Evolution or Revolution for the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day.